join with me in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the redemption that you have worked for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, lead us into to true liberty, to the service of you, our Lord, free from uh, the devil and from sin and from this evil world. We pray that you would uh, continue to instruct us in the way that is good and to do so at this hour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter 20 of the Westminster Confession of Faith of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. And if you're following along in the back of the hymnal, uh, that is page 859. At least it begins on 859. Chapter 20, and kind of two related topics here, of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. Scripture often speaks of, of freedom or liberty or related theme of redemption being delivered, delivered from bondage. We find that even, of course, in the Ten Commandments, out of the house of slavery, out of land of slavery, out of the house of bondage. Uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks of our freedom in this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So it's an important topic. It's also one that is prone to various misunderstandings and was a rather controversial one at the time of the Westminster Assembly uh, when they both prized Christian liberty, but also could see uh, certain misuses of it as well. They were in the middle of uh, a civil war in which the armies were fighting both for civil and religious liberties, Uh, but there were also various sects and groups that were claiming kind of outrageous things in the name of Christian liberty, like the abolition of private property, or that we're no longer bound to obey God's law, or things of that sort. Um, the Congregationalists, the few of them that were in the Westminster Assembly, were opposing Presbyterian church government in the name of Christian liberty or liberty of conscience. And so there was uh, a lot of discussion on the doctrine, and it gets its whole, get a whole chapter here in the Westminster Confession of Faith of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. conscience. Uh, I'm going to begin with the first paragraph, as we usually do, which talks particularly about Christian liberty. What is the liberty that we have in Christ? (laughs) The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan and dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind, all which were common also to believers under the law 
But under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. So this would be describing the liberty that Christ has purchased for us by his redemptive work. A lot of this is in common uh, to the believers under the law and under the gospel. That's another way of referring to those under the Old Testament and under the New Testament, that both received salvation in Christ and the liberty that Christ purchased for them. Uh, But this liberty is further enlarged in some ways uh, in a uh, under the gospel in the New Testament uh, and uh, describes some of the ways in which uh, we have even greater liberty uh, in the present day. So the liberty that Christ has purchased for believers. um, The first three things here are freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, and the curse of the moral law. Uh, We've already looked at some of these things under the topics of justification uh, or Last week, when we looked at the law of God, that we are not under the law as a covenant of works to be justified or condemned by it, uh, that curse of that moral law, because we were under it as a broken covenant of works, the, the curse was in force. All people are, are under God's wrath and curse in the state of sin and misery, and so are under that curse, under the wrath of God, and are guilty in their sins, but these things we are uh, free from now in Christ. It's a great thing, right? To not have that, that burden, not have that weight, not have that condemnation. Is there a little bit of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? No, there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, but not only the sins in their condemning aspects, you know, the, the guilt of sin, but also the power of sin. Look at the next three things it mentions. Being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, and dominion of sin. Sin is both, there's the, both the guilt of sin and the power of sin. The guilt of sin uh, on account of which we are condemned, and there's also the, just the dominion of sin by which we're totally uh, corrupt in desire and thought and deed. But we are no longer totally depraved by the grace of God when he makes us a new creation. Sin still dwells within us, but it no longer tyrannizes over us. Uh, it is no longer master. Christ is the Lord and has broken that dominion so that there is now a, a, a struggle, a conflict uh, between Uh, the spirit and the flesh. But that bondage to Satan, you know, before Christ, we are three times over bound to sin. If it wasn't bad enough that our sins held us, that we so loved and desired that which was sinful, uh, Satan also was adding to that, blinding us to the truth, uh, leading us in ways of evil, And then on top of that, there was also the fallen evil world. It's lust and pride, uh, which bound us. And so we had chains upon chains that uh, caused us to be in bondage. But Christ delivers from these things as well. 
from the present evil world, from Satan, uh, who wields the fear of death over mankind and the dominion of sin. We could go to a lot of different passages uh, that speak of these things, uh, but think of in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says that sin will no longer have dominion over you, um, for you're not under law but under grace, or that you should consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, uh, that you were slaves of sin, but now you are slaves of righteousness, uh, that you now ought to present your members as willing instruments uh, of righteousness. But this is the gift of God through Christ. Also, not just sin, but also misery we are delivered from. Delivered from the guilt of sin, delivered from the dominion of sin, but also delivered from the misery which came for sin. The evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. Now, are Christians in this life free from all afflictions? No, no. But what makes the afflictions of a Christian different than the afflictions of one who is uh, not a believer, not a Christian? What makes the, what's different about their afflictions? They don't have eternal hope. Like, when are these afflictions going to end? They don't have the comfort through the afflictions. They don't have comfort of... They don't have the comfort through the afflictions. Through the afflictions. So, to mean to... to, to up, God helping them through it. Of how, God helping them through the afflictions, right? Our afflictions are for good. That's right. God works all things together for good. Not for everyone, right? but for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God. Uh, For the Christians, these afflictions are for their good, uh, not for evil. Whereas for those who are not in Christ, um, unless they're perhaps being led to Christ, but they are are not the afflictions of uh, a loving father who is training his children or, or growing their faith or uh, various other good things that God can have in mind for afflictions, but these have, uh, uh, they are under the evil of afflictions. There's also death. Are believers uh, exempted from death in this life? It's a funny way to say it, death in this life, but you know what I mean. In this age, no, we will still die, you know. That is still true, but we have been delivered from the sting of death. Uh, Christ, uh, Paul talks about how we are delivered from the sting of death and the power of the law in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it is not a curse for our sins, not a condemnation, But even like those afflictions, it works for our good. Although it's unnatural, it's still an enemy. But God even can use our enemies for our good. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, death is our way to glory. Uh, Death is not the expression of condemnation uh, upon the believer. Also, the victory of the grave. Oh, sorry. 
Yes, they're delivered from the victory of the grave. Will the grave be victorious over the believer? No. Though we be in the grave for a time, we will be raised from the dead. So we are delivered from that dominion of the grave and from everlasting damnation, the final end of misery, which is due to us for our sins, we're also delivered from by Christ. And then lastly here, there is uh, their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. That in this grace in which we stand, we have peace with God, and have access to God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The believer could, uh, could come to God, could pray to him, as we see in the Psalms, this uh, believing approach to God, laying forth our desires uh, before him, and seeking to obey him, not out of slavish fear, not after the way the Israelites might have served Pharaoh, right? The, the kind of trembling, I wish you weren't there kind of fear, but still do it because I don't want to get hurt, but rather uh, a childlike love and a willing mind that we love God, we love his ways, his law, and therefore seek to obey him and to please him. Uh, and so a different attitude, the, the spirit of adoption, rather than that of those who are in bondage. And so all these things are Christian liberty. might not be the first things that come to some people's mind when they hear that you are free in Christ or the one who Christ sets free, they'll be free indeed. But this, these are uh, the most valuable freedoms that a person may have. And the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in the New Testament. Uh, there is that yoke which will lay upon God's people but then was not laid upon them in the New Testament, and that is the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was, was good, but it was also uh, heavy and uh, was pointing them to Christ who was to come, uh, put upon them as a church under age, but once Christ came, uh, it was uh, abolished and in its binding nature upon the Christian to observe it. It's instruction, instructive, uh, but as the Jerusalem Council came to conclude, or as Paul teaches in Galatians, uh, things like circumcision and sacrifices um, are not binding upon Christians today. Those were imposed for a time uh, to lead God's people to Christ. <clears throat> The, the reality has come. The book of Hebrews is uh, about this as much as well, that uh, these sacrifices and offerings even testified to their own insufficiency by the necessity to continue to repeat them, that they did not purify the conscience of, of the worshiper. Uh, but now we have uh, the work of Christ before us by which we have even greater boldness of access, knowing that our high priest has gone before us into heaven. And so that's the next thing it mentions, greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, greater reason to go with, with confidence and boldness to, to approach our God, to seek help in time of need, and fuller communications of the free spirit of God. Now, the spirit of God is poured out with greater power and efficacy, and uh, to, to all his people 
in ways different than under the law. The Spirit is still active in the time of the Old Testament. It's the only way someone would be brought to new life and out of sin and misery. Psalms speak of the Spirit of God. But uh, there is a way in which the Spirit is poured out with greater abundance uh, to in, in an ordinary way throughout the body of Christ, gifting them for service to one another, to hold forth the gospel in greater power to all nations um, than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. Which is also why we have, ought to have greater maturity and why we are now a church having come of age um, and come with the full revelation of Christ. Any questions on this Christian liberty. When the next article is on liberty of conscience. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it if matters of faith or worship so that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience And the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. So, what is the conscience? The conscience, what's that? Well, God is the Lord of the conscience, and it should be agreeing with God. The conscience is kind of that, that faculty of the mind or that moral sense by which we judge something to be right or wrong. Uh, approving something as right or disapproving as it, that it's wrong um, doesn't mean that people always follow what their conscience tells them. Sometimes you know something's wrong and you still do it, but that's, that's bad. You should uh, do what is right. And your conscience is that sense or that conviction, that faculty uh, that aspect of your mind by which you uh, judge something to be right or wrong. And God alone is the Lord of the conscience. He is the one who determines what is right and wrong. Notice that true liberty is being free to serve your true Lord. When the Scots fought for their independence from England under William Wallace and Robert Bruce, you know, that's a a struggle for liberty, right? That's the language that was used, that we will be free. But what did they want? They wanted to be free under their own true king, right? Not under bondage to the usurper. It's not like they just wanted to be free to do whatever they wanted. It's similar with uh, true spiritual liberty, that true freedom and liberty is to be subject to our true Lord, Uh, not under that of a usurper or a tyrant or one who is cruel and unjust. And so the conscience is free, has liberty, uh, when it is not being usurped by other lords. Uh, God alone is the Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, uh, which are contrary to what he has said in his word, or adding to it, beside it, Um, in matters of faith and worship. Um, So that means that man can't make things up that you must believe uh, or that uh, you must do to worship God. God appoints his own worship. God appoints 
the faith which we ought to believe. This was a controversy because, first of all, the Roman Catholic Church required an implicit faith that you didn't necessarily have to understand the faith, but you had to believe with whatever the Roman Catholic Church taught. You know, I believe whatever they teach. And, and that was sufficient as, as saving faith. But uh, not only was it not sufficient, but that was not the type of faith we're taught to have in Scripture. It was uh, making men the Lord of your conscience. And so there was that. There was also the controversies within the English church in which ceremonies and uh, doctrines were being imposed on the church under Archbishop Laud. So it was a controversy fresh in their mind. But both the believer himself should not make men the Lord of his conscience, should not obey or believe such things out of conscience, um, nor should people require an implicit faith, an absolute and blind obedience, because that would be to destroy liberty of conscience, uh, which should be subject to God. Now, it doesn't mean the conscience is free from everything. The conscience should be in submission to God's word. It should be, it is not free from things that are in accord with his word, you know, that, that God's word teaches about faith or worship. Uh, or about anything, and so we ought to be subject to the Word of God. Now, there are misuses of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. Article 3 says, They who, under pretense of Christian liberty, do practice any sin or cherish any lust, do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. This is, the second half of this paragraph is a quote from Luke chapter 1. What is the covenant that God made, his holy covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham? It was that, that that God would grant us that we, being free from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. You know, that is what God did when he brought his people out of Egypt. That's what he does when he brings us out of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, and so what's the end of that liberty? That we might serve the Lord, not that we might indulge in sin. Uh, what does the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? Any of the children want to help answer that one since I gave you the answer? It's on the coloring page. What's the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? Right, and what does that teach us? Yes, that that the, he, the Lord is, that God is the Lord and our God and our Redeemer. Therefore, we ought to keep His commandments. Uh, all of those would be sufficient reasons to obey His commandments, and we have all three. And so He delivered us out, so that we might serve Him uh, cheer- cheerfully, will- willingly. And so it would be, it, Christian liberty is not a valid excuse for practicing any sin or cherishing any lust. God, Jesus did not free us from the obligation to keep God's moral law. That's still God's law. And all the more, we should be willing to, to obey it. Uh, the Bible several times explicitly rejects this misuse of Christian liberty. Um, 
Paul says, you know, don't use your liberty uh, in, in or I'll just go ahead and quote it. Galatians 5, chapter 13. For, we, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, Peter also says in 1 Peter 2, 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, Speaking of false teachers, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So, Scripture again and again uh, warns us of the misuse of this doctrine, and even warns that false teachers will seek to misuse it to lead people astray. There's another misuse of Christian liberty in the next paragraph. I'll go ahead and read that. And because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ has purchased are not not intended by God to destroy, but mutually to uphold and preserve one another, they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. And for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness, or such erroneous opinions or practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ has established in the church, they may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church. All right, so a lot of words there. Part of the reason there's a lot of words there is because this was a hot controversy, an important topic, an urgent topic uh, at the time, and really still is, because uh, there's still plenty of people that are of such a publishing opinions, maintaining practices that are contrary to the light of nature, you know, contrary to reason, uh, to God's revelation uh, in nature, or to the known principles of Christianity, or to the power of godliness, or maintain such doctrines that in their own nature or in the manner of, of making them known cause scandal and division uh, within the church. And uh, this is not the right practice of Christian liberty. Uh, there is a government that Christ has appointed, a civil government and a church government, uh, which are not overthrown by Christian liberty, that we still ought to be subject to the powers God has ordained. These are not contrary to one another, but uphold one another, that the church and civil government should uphold and, and maintain true Christian liberty and liberty of conscience, and uh, Christian liberty and liberty of conscience should also uh, uphold the lawful power and lawful exercise of power and maintain the purity and peace uh, and unity of the church. And so, uh, don't be a rebel, you know, if, against uh, lawful government or the lawful exercise of government. Uh, the, when Peter says in First Peter, live as those who are free, but not as a cover-up for evil, he's doing so in the context of saying being subject to uh, every human institution of uh, civil government. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Uh, so, uh, you know, some people will say, no king but Christ. Well, that's true in America. We literally don't have an earthly king. But it's not a moral principle. You, you can have a king and have King Jesus. Um, they obviously are on different levels, the one subject to the other, but uh, there is a place for civil government and for church government, uh, which do not contradict the liberty that we have in Christ. Um, but rather, being free from sin and from uh, the, the dominion of sin, uh, we should uh, be those that uh, are not in danger of the censure of the church or the power of the civil government, which ought to be exercised against that which is evil uh, and, and sinful. Any questions on this chapter um, on Christian liberty and liberty of conscience? Uh, this is, I'll note that this is one place where the American Presbyterian Church uh, edited slightly the original Westminster Confession. The last paragraph here, after saying, by the censures of the church, also added, and by the power of the civil magistrate. And they just deleted those last couple words, and by the power of the civil magistrate. Uh, admittedly, the power of the civil magistrate in the topics that just discussed is a lot more complicated than were the authority of the church. Uh, to, to address these things. So they, they left that out uh, when they adopted it after the American Revolution. So I, I'll try to note that as we go along, you know, where there were edits. Um, there's not a lot of them, but that's one of them. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your provision of liberty in Christ, uh, the deliverance that we have from that cruel tyranny which we ourselves uh, went into, uh, betraying you by our sins and becoming slaves of sin and Satan. But we thank you for breaking those chains through Jesus Christ and causing us to be born again as a new creation. We pray that you would help us to more and more serve you willingly with a willing mind and childlike love, uh, that you are our Father and that we would trust in you, coming to you with confidence and boldly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.